0: This is One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 54 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism, and this morning I am really pleased to have New York State's uh, New York State Assembly Dee Dee Barrett on the phone with us. Um, Dee Dee, good morning, thank you for being here.
1: Good morning, Eliza, <laughs> very nice to be here.
0: Uh, It's it's funny, as we were talking before we got started, you and I have known each other for quite a long time. Um, I believe when I started at Anderson, which is now 13 years ago, you were a member of our board. And uh, that, I believe, okay. is the first, the first way we met. And since then, things have changed. You're no longer on the board of Anderson, but you certainly have uh, gone on to great success in the assembly and um, are doing a tremendous amount of work that we want to recognize and thank you for on behalf of individuals with developmental disabilities and their families. So with that said. Well, thank you so much.
1: No, I, I appreciate it. And, and, yes, I was on the foundation board for four years and actually have a very long history with, um, with Anderson. Um, my daughter, who's now 28, at, I think, in, in, in elementary school, um, became, I think, the first kind of ambassador uh, that Anderson tried out uh, this concept. And um, she, uh, she had a friend whose who's, uh, brother uh, was at Anderson and, uh, you know, kind of the whole a family got involved pretty pretty early on and in, in particularly in, in Neil Pollack's tenure. And, um, yes, as you said, the rest is history.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I recall um, you always being a person who shared opinions, thoughts, questions, um, and and then, and this translates even to today, you know, was always willing to kind of follow up with action. And um, I, I know that that was something that um, Neil certainly appreciated about his connection with you and we continue to appreciate. Um, there's a lot of places we could start this conversation. Um, I know that uh, that you have um, started and I think chair a human services advisory group, um, and I'd love for you to talk about that and the, and the work that goes on in that group. I know that the workforce issue, um, as it relates to individuals with developmental disabilities, um, both now and sort of looking into the future, is a topic that you feel very strongly about, and I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on that. Um, and then also uh just go kind of i guess going along with that just some of the challenges that that um we face in terms of opportunities to um for people to feel good and well paid or fairly paid to do work that is is highly needed and very much in demand right now when it comes to this population. And I also want to point out that everything that you're doing really does impact the families of the individuals we serve and other individuals being served either at home or in other organizations. Um, So I I just want to thank you for that too. families need all of the uh positive voices on their on um, you know from their perspective as they can possibly have right now. So where would you like to jump in? Wow, that's a lot of uh territory <laughs> to cover. Well, let me let's start at you know at, at you know um
1: with the the human services advice advisory in the sense that it you know it came uh together when I got first got elected to the assembly um in 2012 one of the first committees that I asked to be on was mental health which includes developmental disabilities um and it's called mental health developmental disabilities and something else I can't remember the whole title of the committee but it's you know it it's an issue obviously because of the district I represent and the number of really important organizations and and on work being done across um the the whole you know DD uh, continuum and obviously my own personal Connections with Anderson, and um, and so you know at at a certain point um, I was you know I was obviously continuing to work with Anderson and work with these organizations and learning more about the impact um, on our community and the needs for uh, resources and the impact on families and then um, when when Neil first announced that he was leaving I you know I said you have been such a resource and such an important. Piece of my learning. Would you would you be willing to chair um, a a task force or a, a sorry, advisory board for me? I should say that's what we called it to to really help me continue to learn about the challenges in New York State and and implement change and start addressing um, you know fixes because that. Um, you know, that's my goal is this, to advocate and, and, and represent my district and the, you know, organizations and the families and the individuals and the issues that, you know, that impact us here in, in the Hudson Valley and across New York State. And so as we talked it through, we we really, you know, kind of looked at the whole panoply of human service organizations in my district. And it was really amazing when we called the first meeting together because we had people from... The DD community and the mental health community and the substance abuse community, and I think we at you know point had had um, kind of a, some aging people from and, and it was in the two counties I represent, Dutchess and Columbia, it was people in government and people in the not-for-profit sector, um, and we started talking, and a lot of these organizations were were kind of. Um, you know, stuck is, is, is maybe overstating the word, but in, in certain silos. So they were working with the, you know, the in, in the DD community, the OPWDD, and in the mental health OMH, and um, in substance abuse Oasis. And so they had different tracks that they were on, and they had different agencies that they were working with, but their issues were, in many cases, you know, almost exactly the same, and their challenges with the state and their challenges. And um, so there was kind of this sense of, of kind of camaraderie that everybody felt in in, in in uh in meeting each other and uh talking about these issues and realizing that, you know, this was there were challenges that were beyond their sector that were, you know, were New York State. Uh, challenges and, and that's where for us it was really an eye-opener to see. I mean there were things that clearly covered it all in the Justice mm-hmm. Center, but other things where it just because of the si- the funding silo that you were in, um, you know, that, that uh, you were dealing with the same issues but it was framed and it was addressed in, in different ways. So that has been a really extraordinary um, group of people that have come together now for about five years, um, you know, once or twice a year and um, um, some of the issues that have, have come out are, you know, and one of the key ones is the workforce issue and the, the, the fact that um, that it's very challenging to keep staff to have um, the, you know, the, the, the funding streams in order to, you know, give people opportunities for advancement um, to, you know, to, to really look at where people are coming from in order to get into these fields. And and so this has been an issue that I've continued to really monitor, and we brought in actually the community colleges in, in, in my two counties uh, to talk with us about that, too, to see if there were ways to help people start, uh, you know, create programs that would that would give um help people understand the the needs and the opportunities, because I think most people who work in these caregiving, um, and whether it's within an organization or it's home health care, really love what they're doing and they have a enormous sense of satisfaction. But if they can't afford to do the work because they can't, you know, pay for their own need, child care needs or they can't, um, you know, the economics don't make it too expensive for them to travel back and forth to a job and or there's you know other um there are you know advancement opportunities aren't there and they can't really see it as a career track then it you know it it basically undermines the the stability for families and for organizations to be able to care for um, their loved ones, and you know, in the end, New York State—it's much more costly for New York State. It's just, you know, it's a system that's not doing what it needs to do. And um, so, this has been something that I've been um, more and more uh, focused on. And um, I'm the chair right now of the uh, Legislative Women's Caucus, and that's a bipartisan, bicameral um, organization in you know, in 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 our legislature. We were about to uh, host a, a, a forum on the continuum of caregiving just before everything shut down, which was very frustrating because, you know, we really had an opportunity to look at the continuum, continuing needs of caregivers from child care uh, to, you know, young people with um, long-term care needs and, and uh, developmental disabilities to older people with developmental disabilities and adults and then, obviously, the elder care, which you know we we hear a, a lot more about the two extremes: child care and elder care, but mm-hmm. it really is a continuum, so there's my <laughs> yeah. my long answer
0: <laughs> no, that's a great answer i we and we're actually john just two minutes left in our first half of the interview, so but that was a lot of information um i uh I just want to ask you one follow up question for now, which is um in your work there and in your in your looking at it really deep in you know deeply do you see um, more of a problem maybe when it comes to uh, People who, who would be in a position to care for adults with developmental disabilities versus maybe young child care or elder care, and I ask just because, from a hiring perspective, um, it often um, you see people coming through the doors who really want to work with young children for a variety of reasons, and maybe are not are a little more hesitant to work with um, with adults, um, maybe you know. 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds with developmental disabilities. Did you see that as, a, as any data that came through? Um, I didn't,
1: but I didn't look for that. And there's a this study that uh, the Caring Majority, hand-in-hand, hand, um, just released actually last week um, on on, uh, on caregiving in the Hudson Valley. And uh, I can certainly get that report to you, or or you could get it, I'm sure, through um, the Caring Majority. But, um, but it does really look at... Uh, um, you know, at, at the long-term care issues, and you know, maybe more of a focus on on, on uh, elder care. But you know, I think that um, you know, I, I I think the challenges, the physical challenges, obviously of uh, of working with um, you know with with teenagers or young adults that are uh, you know that are that are stronger that um, mm-hmm. you know that are um, uh, you know not not. Uh, you know, the, as easy as or as, you know, endearing necessarily as a, mm-hmm. you know, as a small child is always sure. there, but I think that we've found that, you know, that, that it, and this, that's what this report showed, that most people who are doing this work, and, you know, and let's be real here, most of them are, um, are women, most of them are, are immigrants or women of color, um, but there is a real sense of satisfaction and reward in that, and you know and and the what you know what i find so um frustrating is that the the prestige the status the the um you know the the compensation you know the valuing in our society you know by those kinds of standards doesn't anywhere um meet up with the valuing of the work that they do, which is, you know, taking care of our most vulnerable uh, family members. So yeah,
0: I, I, you know, I'm going to stop you just right there because we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to follow up definitely on that point um, because I know that there are other places in the world where it's very much the opposite and, uh, and I'm curious your thoughts on on how we got here and uh, and then, you know, what is there that we can do as a as a community, as a larger community, to continue to address it. Um, Dee Dee Barrett, thank you. This is One in 54, the uh, weekly talk show on topics for the Autism Spectrum Disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozensky. We will be right back. In this time of unprecedented challenges, we've seen kindness and resilience light the way. Countless heroes are making courageous sacrifices for the greater good, and the team at Anderson Center for Autism are among those heroes. With tireless dedication and unwavering compassion, they're giving everything they've got to protect the health and well-being of people with special needs. On behalf of the Anderson family, they extend their heartfelt thanks. You are true humanitarians. Thank you for inspiring us every day and for all you're doing to light the way. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP. Welcome back to One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking today with New York State Assemblymember Dee Dee Barrett um, about many things, mostly, I guess, an overview of your years of dedicated service to, um, with a focus on on the needs and the challenges associated with serving people with special needs, specifically developmental disabilities through things like the Human Services Advisory Group. Uh, you just mentioned that you were also the chair of the Legislative Women's Caucus, which which is has at least a, a somewhat of a focus in this area, um, the Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities Committee. Um, so, so many things that you're involved in. And uh, I just wanted to say, Didi, when we, as we came back from break, that before we went to break, you were talking about um, just the disparity between the high demand um, and the need for people, for caregivers in this field um, really across the lifespan from early childhood all the way through um, the elder care and uh, the disparity between the need and the ability to retain those staff um, mostly due to pay issues and um, sometimes work environments, etc. So I just wanted to share that that you know this uh, because as a former board member you remember that we have at Anderson an international fellowship program And for so many years, there's always fellows from from various countries around the world who point out to us that in their home country, the people who are providing that level of care are highly professionalized and are treated as some of the most important people in their society because of what they do. And so there may not be a whole lot of commentary except for both of us to commiserate a little bit and say that it's unfortunate that we're not there. Um, did you want did you did you have any other reaction to to just that, uh, that that continues to be shared with us from some fellows from around the world no, I think
1: we you know i i I, I do commiserate and i and I, you know i think we 've seen it we we know that there are other parts of the world where you know where older people are valued and, and appreciated more than in this country um, you know where where that wisdom is um, you know is is uh, Valued and, and you know and, and treasured, um, and I think that you know that that this is something that um, you know that we need to try to shift in our country by professionalizing in the sense of you know of, of developing career tracks or or creating opportunities for advancement and uh, you know and and for um improving the salaries and you know and 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 just making you know i think I think that kind of change can be made, but it has to happen uh within our communities and you know and and uh and hopefully within our state, so mm-hmm. you know i I think you're absolutely right that that uh, disparity exists, and maybe we can do something to change it.
0: I hope so. So let's let's spend you know some time. We have we have a few more minutes in our interview today, talking about um, any any suggestions, calls for action, things that you want to share in terms of what what can we do, what are the next steps that that you're working on. Um, if somebody's listening to this and saying I want to get involved in some of the work that Dee Dee is, is championing, championing, championing that's a tough word. <laughs> um, uh, what can I do? What would you say to to that person
1: um well i think you know I, I think that um you know there are certainly organizations that are doing uh you know this kind of organizing work and and certainly hand in hand and the you know the hudson valley uh caring majority is you know is right here in our in our own region and um you know getting hold of that report I think would be something and maybe you even have an opportunity to talk to some of the people involved there uh mm-hmm. on your show um but i you know i would love to see families um you know I, you know come together in a way to uh and I, and i know these are you know it's challenging cuz most families are you know are simply struggling with just the day to day uh issues but uh but really you know to to kind of force this conversation and um make sure that uh um, you know that are that are are statewide leaders and i you know i think that there's a lot of us in the legislature who feel this way but you know we don't you know we we have a hard time getting the funding in the budget or getting the um uh the kind of fixes that are not going to you know tie hands more so we don't you know we don't need just more regulation we don't need you know more um, obstacles for organizations like anderson and and others to um, you know to have to jump through hoops we we need you know we need conversations that would really address what the needs of families are and uh, and you know and and work from that kind of more grassroots level up rather than you know than sort of a top down uh, institutional uh, all right, well, this is how we'll you know keep this bad thing from happening, or this is how we'll you know we'll reign them in this way, so you know that's that's something I'd love to hear from families who would like to you know to to sort of work on us on a um you know on a that kind of uh um information gathering and and giving to uh uh to start making change happen.
0: That sounds great, I, I and I um, I will pass that along. I, I talk often to members of uh, Anderson Family Partners, which is a group of really engaged, dedicated Anderson families, and, and there's an arm of that group that's an advocacy arm, and it's interesting that you talk about really needing to continue that grassroots um, momentum and conversation and collaboration as opposed to just continuing to sort of um, weed our way through um, Regulations and, and and unfunded mandates and things like that. Because the chair of the advocacy committee asked me, you know, is there still is there still a need? You know, is there still something that we we you know what can we have our voices heard about? And my reaction to her was, there's always a need. You never want your voice to not be heard, um, whether you know you can affect immediate change or it's going to take longer. Um, and so you're sort of reinforcing that point. So I appreciate that, and I think it's always helpful for families to hear from a legislator's point of view, that voices do matter. Um, and, And so I'm going to pass that along and hope that those listening take that to heart. I think we should also repeat the names of the organizations you mentioned, the Hudson Valley Caring Majority. Is there a website if people search that? Will they find information
1: uh yes I I think that is how it's listed there's a couple of different names at it you know that they sort of operate with and I'm not really sure exactly which the you know what the website but we yeah. certainly can get that for you and um uh but I think if anybody were to google that and and you know and this um report that came out last week there's been some good press on it uh uh that that I think The Daily Freeman did a story um uh this weekend and um, so, you know, I think that 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 people can find that. But, but I do want to just sort of reemphasize. You know, I appreciate what you were saying about the importance of advocacy. But I think, you know, sometimes we feel as legislators that people just go to the agencies and that's who they, you know, that, that they deal with. And I think, you know, I think that hearing operating at a more grassroots level and you know really looking, you know, looking at solutions that are. Um, you know that are are addressing family needs rather than just institutional um, solutions. Um, you know, might be a, might be a good series of conversations to start having.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you and I can maybe talk, you know, uh, afterwards about about continuing to do that. Um, I know that families are getting increasingly m- more and more aware of the impact of their voices over many things, and most recently, you know, the, the, how they were affected by COVID and the regulations and visitation. There was a tremendous amount of activity around that. Um, Absolutely. That, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and it beautiful. was effective. And you know, I think that. Um, I think that that was really helpful for a lot of families to realize that that um yes. that their voices even independent of the organization they might be affiliated with um you know where their loved one is is uh is extremely important so so like I said uh, you know it, Hearing this directly from somebody who's so experienced and so knowledgeable, and has really chosen as a as a person and as a legislator to um, to tackle some of these issues is really really helpful. So um, so we're thrilled to have you on the show today, Dee Dee, and it's nice to talk to you again. It's been quite a while. Great, um, it so I'm, has I'm been,
1: and it's great to talk with you. And well, I hope everybody stays well and and. Uh, and safe, and uh, look forward to the opportunity to continue these conversations.
0: Absolutely, it would be my pleasure, and thank you for your time being on the show today. And let's keep up the uh, the great work and, and keep making progress. This is one in fifty-four, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozemski, and remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in Fifty Four, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week.